Alex Philadelphia. It takes a lot to make him happy, and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got a hit. Yes! Sally Stable, 132.67, has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Beauty! On the ice for the Gimlet. The Gimlet Welcome back to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast as we move into our next 50 episodes, at least uh, coming off the back of our 50th celebration. We hope you enjoyed our very special episode we put together with some of the best bits throughout our first 50 episodes. And moving on right again into another athlete interview in the lead up to the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. And a bit of a different one for you today. It's actually our first time we can sit down with a Paralympian ahead of the Pyeongchang Paralympics in 2018. You're about to hear from Joni Badenhorst, a Paralympian in the sport of snowboarding. As a matter of fact, Australia's first ever para snowboarder. She made it to the Sochi 2014 Paralympics, but uh, cruelly was uh, injured the morning of her event in training. And uh, so I guess technically didn't get to take that start line for the Olympics. But uh, so narrowly close to actually doing so. But Joni has a fantastic story in regards to uh, just her her career in general. Just a fantastic chat with her, hearing about how she got involved in the sport. Uh, kind of narrow misses not only from Sochi, of course, but even narrowly making uh, missing out on the London 2012 Summer Olympics. And just a fun chat in general. I know you're going to enjoy this one. And make sure you stick around to the end because you will hear the most randomest funniest joke you have ever heard in your entire life. Here is my chat with Australian para snowboarder Joni Badenhorst. It's a massive pleasure to be able to welcome our next guest here to Off the Podium. We've been doing some athlete profiles in the lead-up to the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics next year in 2018. And it's a very exciting time today to be able to welcome our first Paralympian to the show. Uh, She was so close. Well, she was an athlete at the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics, but just sadly, cruelly had to pull out of her event on the day of it due to an injury and has still been doing great guns throughout the World Cup since and is eagerly anticipating her actual time to compete for once, uh, it seems, at the uh, Winter Paralympics next year. I do, of course, speak of Joni Badenhorst. Joni, pleasure to welcome you here to Off the Podium. No, thank you so much for thinking of me and having me. It's a, it's a pleasure because we've sort of, you know, been doing profiles and sort of interviews with a variety of different athletes and in different sports. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to kind of hear from a variety of different athletes going into the Games next year. But as I said, you're our first Paralympian going into this. And 
I mean, just looking at your results, even from just the most recent World Cup season, you're obviously coming off the uh, the back of some amazing results too. And you must, you, I swear, you probably have just got a clock counting down to these Olympics next year after what happened to you in, in Sochi. I mean, you must just be going, come on, 2018, where are you already? <laughs> yes, that's exactly how it's like. I've been planning the last four years down to the T and we're in the crunch time now. So, you know, it, it, it couldn't be coming towards me quicker, but then also appreciating how far it's away because it's a big deal and I need all the time to prepare. So, is this is this kind of downtime for you though? Like, is that such a thing? I'm finding with a lot of the athletes at the moment that they seemingly are getting like a week or two off, and then they're basically straight back into uh, into training. I mean, is that what you're experiencing right now? You're two weeks off of the year. Yeah, no. Um, so my two weeks off was a week off two weeks ago. Right. So I've been back training um, and I'm basically in my first training block uh, leading up to the Australian winter season and it's coming to an end in about two weeks and then I'll have a couple of days off and then I'm straight back into the second training block. So there's no time off um, in these last couple of months, really. Wow, wow. It's it's incredible to think that because obviously I think too with winter athletes, uh, particularly here in Australia, is that, I mean, our winter is kind of, I guess, the summer for the north. So it's kind of, you're still, I guess, in essence, chasing the snow, aren't you? Because, you know, I mean, that's what you need to do. I, I didn't even mention in the introduction, of course, you're a para snowboarder. Uh, so you therefore yeah. are, are chasing the snow to, to practice. Is that kind of what you have to do then as well, is just follow where the snow is? Yeah, basically, my entire year is based around traveling and finding the snow. So any time that we have that's away from the snow, we use it um, because it's so scarce. We use it to train and get ready so we're prepared on snow. I mean, we spend about six months, seven months a year on snow. So whatever's left over, we train dry land, you know, in the gym and um, other types of training to prepare us. So it's never really away from training off snow. We do get about five months away just because of autumn and um, spring, but no, my entire season, we just travel and find it wherever it, you know, comes to us. It's great. And you, you must love snow then. You must love the cold weather to, uh, to have to kind of experience all I this. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. It would be so sad to say that I hate it, but I'm definitely a snow body. I would choose long pants and Ugg boots over shorts and thongs every single day of the week, every day. Yep. So. I, I'm, I'm fully there with you. I am a, I'm a fan of the cold weather. I live in Tasmania. That's probably why. But um, it's uh, it's not quite that uh, snowy down here a lot. But uh, there's something I find about colder weather that it's so much more satisfying when you can get nice and snug and warm when it's completely hot and, you know, you can only take so much off. And if you've got a good air conditioner, great. Exactly. But it's not the same feeling. No, that's exactly it. And I find that snow in general, um, even if I'm not on snow, when there's just snow around me, it's such a calming thing. I think it's the color and how snow tends to block out all other noise. Um, I find myself at my most calm and pleasant when I'm surrounded by snow, which is so good for everyone around me. Well, right, right now. So you're you're based in Griffith, I believe. So you're you're not currently surrounded by snow. It seems it seems there's a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of brightness going on there without the snow. <laughs> yeah. you're, just, you're just dying to sort of get back to those slopes at the moment. 
I really am. That's why I'm currently alone because I'm probably not at the most pleasant right now. So um, I'm just sitting here with my family avoiding me. Um, no, I'm based down here. It's it's lovely weather. I mean, I should appreciate the sun while it's here because I don't tend to see summer a lot. So I'm appreciating it for what it is, but I am very excited to get back to it. Now, you're originally, of course, from South Africa uh, and uh, came here to Australia, I believe, uh, sort of just at the end of last decade. And you had your accident... Uh, about what 10 12 years ago now wasn't it uh, you you lost your leg in a in a tractor accident and then obviously has kind of uh moved you forward in, into the world of of para sports you, you were sort of before the accident though i believe still uh, very uh, athletic you were involved in athletics and dance and all that sort of stuff so this is always i guess for you being the goal to to be an athlete i i can imagine yeah, from the moment I could walk, I knew that I was going to be an athlete. Originally, I thought I was going to be a professional dancer. I had been dancing uh, since I can remember, um, competing at the national titles and winning. I I had my heart set on it, you know. Um, and then after the accident, sport was my way of getting back to the community, being active and living a type of lifestyle where I wouldn't say that I have a disability, you know, because right now it enables me to do so much more with people and with sport. So um, after I lost my leg immediately, I just started kind of thinking about ways to get back to it. Uh, it never really stopped for me. And, so. and what was, I guess, comparing uh, the, the parasports program in South Africa throughout the time that you were there? I mean, you competed in the 2009 Youth Olympics, I believe, um, and then obviously came here to Australia, narrowly missed out on the Summer Games in, in 2012 for London. Uh, are they comparable, kind of looking at how it's run in South Africa to Australia? Are they much different? Are they, are they similar? Well, it's been eight years since I've been part of the South African team, uh, but while I was a part of it, it was nothing like Australia at all. You were very much on your own. You were um, self-funded. There was no team funding, no government funding, um, and there were no real classifications for people competing. So I competed in under-16s and 21s when I was 12. There was just no other categories because no one in South Africa could afford to do sport because sport limbs, like the prosthetics, uh, are so expensive. And in South Africa, there's no Medicare to help subsidize. So you were 100% on your own. And if you were not Oscar Pistorius that was so lucky to have these sponsors help him get these expensive legs, you were 100% by yourself. So I remember competing for South Africa and it was great to kind of get into that um, type of level of competition. But I had no trainers. I had no team. I had no uniform. I had nothing to kind of show what I was a part of. And that changed when I came to Australia. Australia's kind of mob mentality of sports and the importance of it in everyday life is so fantastic from the moment I started competing for Australia or even for New South Wales. Um, you had a coach, you had a team, you had people supporting you. It's nothing like South Africa, but it's been so long things might have changed because parasports made such a big debut now um, in all the different types of sports that you get. It might have grown. But from what I remember, I was completely isolated, even playing sport at that time. I, I mean, I, it's kind of a, uh, interesting sort of you, when you, I guess, anybody, as you, you mentioned, Oscar Pistorius, you think of para sports in South Africa, you automatically think of uh, Oscar Pistorius kind of obviously before everything that's happened with him. But yeah. I, 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 that's kind of fascinating to hear that because I, I would have assumed maybe with the impact that he had 
on sport in general, not just in South Africa, but globally, that might have trickled down into the, the para sports community there in South Africa. So, I mean, obviously, as you said, you have been there a long time. So, I mean, mm. do you think maybe it could have or has that now been negative given what's happened to him? <laughs> um, well, you know what? He put para sport on the map for the world and that all happened while I was transitioning over to Australia and I know that his contributions to the para world has been so monumental that it changed South Africa and the way that they view it and the way that they approach it. And, you know, it's changed Australia. Um, even after, you know, what happened, he still impacts like the way that he approached himself and himself as a professional athlete that just changed so much for so many para athletes. It changed me the way that I saw it. Um, even leaving South Africa to coming into Australia, I took that different mentality into my own sport, you know, that I don't see myself as any different because I'm a para-athlete. I still think I'm an athlete at the, at the end of the day. And he's the one that kind of like introduced that idea to me. So I do think that um, it changed after what happened, but his initial influence into the world of sport was so monumental. You cannot cap it. You cannot change it no matter what happens, you know. So yeah. he definitely made a mark and it's been really positive for us most of the way, you know. You, you mean, I mean, I mentioned that, that uh, you narrowly missed out on making the Summer Games in 2012 in, in London. And it was there, I believe, around about then, you were discovered by uh, the snowboarding coach, uh, Peter Higgins, the Australian Paralympic snowboarding coach. How, how does a snowboarding coach see an athlete in athletics and go, hey, I think she would be great in snowboarding? <laughs> Listen, um, before I start this story, you need to know something about me. I have the most random things happen to me in my life. My entire life is like a bunch of coincidences that's led me onto these extreme like life pathways. If you can't tell from me losing my leg in a freak accident to now sitting in Griffith training in summer for something winter. Um, I was, I had just decided to step away from, um, athletics just because I'd been training for so long and I couldn't physically recover from um, my upset before London. Um, so I decided to take some time off to finish year 12 and I really wanted to wear high heels to my year 12 formal. <laughs> I mean, you talk to any girl, I had never worn them. I'd never felt uber girly because um, I was so sporty. I never went out for socials. I never did anything like that. So my year 12, that first year after taking off, um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put everything I have into this. This is going to be something special for me. So obviously high heels. <laughs> and I went to my prosthetist um, a couple of weeks before and I told him I want a high heel. And he basically, he's German. So he just looked at me and he's like, I don't think that's a good idea because you are a hazard. <laughs> and wow. I could not believe that he labeled me as a hazard. Yes, um, I do see myself now as one, but still like... I wanted those high heels. So he set out a challenge. He said, okay, fine. You bring a pair of high heels in here. And if you can do set exercises that I give you and still do it safely, I will give you that high heel leg. And a high heel foot's about $15,000. Like this is not, this is a big deal. And he said that he'd help me pay for it. And I took that challenge, of course. Yeah. Um, so I got these 
ridiculous high heels. I mean, the, the ones that you see on a Saturday night out on girls walking like a hunchback of Notre Dame going, <laughs> why would you do that to yourself? Yes. I wore those and I step into the prosthetic office and he looks at me. He's like, you're joking. And I'm like, I am not <laughs> You're about to see something amazing. <laughs> and I am running up and down doing these Russian squats and I'm balancing on like plates. I can't tell you what I'm doing, like a crazy person in like shorts and like a jumper with these like neon high heels, which I did not wear to my formal gym. Oh, um, <laughs> and while I'm doing all of this, there's another patient that's getting a leg fixed and another person with him sitting in the corner and they're kind of doing their own thing. And this guy is staring at me and I'm like, well, I'm running in high heels with one leg. He's probably going to stare. <laughs> um, and a couple of days afterwards, my phone rings and this guy, Peter Higgins, calls me and he's like, hey, Joni, I don't know if you remember, but I was at the prosthetic office. And I was like, yeah, you were staring at me. He's like, yeah, listen, listen, you're legless. Um, you're female and you obvious, obviously have balance. Um, do you want to try snowboarding? And I was like, what? I've never even seen snow. I don't skateboard. What do you mean? And he told me about the program and how it's making its debut into Sochi, although he wasn't confident that I would even be thinking of Sochi. I was more thinking of Korea. But he said, if you want to, the opportunity's there. I'm going to give you a couple of weeks to think about it. Let me know. And I hung up the phone and I told my mom and dad I'm quitting my job and moving down to Jindabyne because I'm starting to snowboard, <laughs> which they thought was ridiculous. So I called him back two hours later and he's really surprised. And he's like, hey, um, what's up? And I'm like, oh, so I'm moving down to Jindabyne pretty soon. So just FYI, I'm doing this. Wow. And yeah, he was just like, cool, let's let's do it. And I did. That's crazy. All from a guy just staring at you basically in a, in a clinic. like. <laughs> I get people staring at me all the time, but nobody's offered me to go to the uh, the Olympics, so um, maybe I need I to pay more attention to, to them. More positive, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of the more positive experiences of random people staring at me constantly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's you know, I get that a lot because obviously I am legless, but. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a good one, a goodie. That's crazy. That's crazy to think that. And I mean, I can imagine that it's not. Uh, I mean, as you said, you'd never seen snow. You you'd never skateboarded. Uh, I mean, what's that like? As soon as he goes, okay, here's a snowboard. On you get. Give it a crack. What what what's kind of that moment like when you're on this board and you're thinking, okay, here we go. Um, I remember strapping in and he's like, strap in. And I'm like, listen, I don't even know what a strap is. He's going to have to point it out to me because I don't know. And he's like, okay, this is going really well. And I'm strapped in. And just before he kind of leads me up the hill, I remember just thinking, what have I done? Like, what am I doing here? How did I even get here? Um, and then he gave me my first task. And as soon as he kind of uttered the words, let's start with this, my mind just switched over and I was like, let's do this. I'm here now, no turning back. I'm going to commit to it to the end. So that's what I did. Uh, he gave me my first task, which I failed miserably. <laughs> but you know what? I had like a lot of heart before I failed miserably. And that, yeah, that's what you I need, really tried. Clearly. That's, that's yeah. obviously what helped, you, <laughs> what helped you out there, Joni. So I mean, at that time, was given that it was making its debut there in Sochi, I mean, you, when you qualified for the Games, you, you became Australia's first ever para, uh, female para snowboarder. What, what, are there many other female para... I mean, does, does, is he just going around Australia in clinics and basically staring at people going, you need to come try <laughs> out for me, or, or were you kind of it? 
No, I was it. There was um, there were a couple of other girls at the time doing it, but they just because of the way that the classification worked for the different types of um, amputations, different types of girls, it just wasn't realistic at the time. Now it's a bit better because we've broadened our classification range. But um, at the time, I was it, and currently, you know, there's not a lot of girls out there in Australia wanting to give this a go. So. I'm still it. It was just a fluke coincidence, you know, um, and it worked out. And then how long, I mean, given that, as you were saying, he mentioned that perhaps, oh, Sochi might not be on, on the agenda, more so Korea. You obviously are good enough to then make 2014. How long was that between getting discovered and your qualification? Because, I mean, if this was after London, I mean, that sounds like you've only got less than 18 months, basically, to kind of get from discovery to on a plane to Russia. I had been from my first day on snow until getting my wild card in Canada. It had been six months. Six months. Wow. Six months. Yeah. It was, um, I didn't initially go for Sochi. Sochi wasn't in my head as the end game. But one thing about me is I go 100%. If I didn't make it to Sochi, that would be okay for me because I wouldn't, I wouldn't approach that time given differently. So, um, I just gave it my all and really worked hard. And for Sochi, it paid off, you know. So, I was very lucky. And that's obviously an incredible feeling then to to, to achieve that so suddenly. And also given that, as you mentioned too, the the disappointment from initially not making London. So, it's kind of these these crazy coincidences that you're talking about. I mean, this is just amazing to think I, I couldn't imagine that when you when you don't qualify for london that you're thinking to yourself oh well i might be in another paralympics at least in 18 months time <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't believe it that's one thing i've been incredibly blessed with so many opportunities you know i've been given that opportunity and i just really wanted to take take it and make the most of it um yeah and I was very lucky that it worked out because I know for a lot of athletes, they work just as hard and it doesn't work out that way. So um, I was very lucky that at that time, it it was an option for me. You know, right now it wouldn't be an option for me just starting. It wouldn't be realistic. So very lucky. What are are the the main differences, I guess, and challenges for for a para-athlete in the sport of snowboarding compared to sort of a non-para-athlete when it comes to that technique? Because... You know, I mean, obviously, you know, everything from the stance on the board and, I mean, even just the different types of, of snowboarding, the different events. I mean, I can imagine that there are uh, uh, different challenges for yourself compared to, say, an able-bodied athlete in in the same sport. Oh, definitely. Like, um, at the end of the day, we try and keep our technique, uh, the technique, the snowboard setup, the equipment that we use, we want to keep it as close to able body racing as possible uh, because at the end of the day, we want the athletic side of us to shine, not the equipment side, you know? So we try and keep it very, very similar. My setup apart from my prosthetic leg is very much like any able body racer. Uh, But the struggle is uh, off snow, we still train like able bodies, but we obviously I'm missing a leg, which means I can't do everyday exercises that are key for snowboarding the same way squatting lunging you know um strength exercises i need to be so careful not overdoing it on my left amputated side because if i do an injury to it it takes four times as long to heal so training needs to be approached with uh, outside of the box thinking mentality you cannot go into training a para athlete the same way you do an able body it just doesn't work that way because our bodies don't work the same 
And then when you transfer that on snow, because we're missing part of our body, those initial techniques that you need to, you know, get the, the results of turning and absorbing are completely different, but you still need the technique to kind of snowboard. So we need to find different ways to approach it, different stance, different way of moving your body, activating completely different muscle groups to get the same end result, you know? So, um, and I think it's a lot, a lot of work. People don't realize how much more work um, amputees or any other disability need to put in to get the same result as an able body because we have so much against us to get that end result that's the same as an able body takes <laughs> takes a village um so it's it's a big struggle to and it just seems like we do the same but it's there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes to get that same result you know and I, I watched one of the the videos of you on on YouTube, and you were sort of mentioning in that about uh, the costs of the legs can be upwards of twenty five thousand dollars. And and you were mentioning there about when you were the dance about how you kind of wanted your high heel leg. I mean, is that kind of then a, a different type of prosthetic that you're using to to compete as as well? And and what are sort of the costs when it comes to to these prosthetics when it comes to competing? So they range. Um all different price ranges depending on what country and but I'll use um, my me for an example so I use a different snowboarding leg for snowboarding I don't have one leg that I transfer like some athletes because of the type of amputation I have so I've got no knee ligaments in my left knee it dislocates you know when you think about dislocation so I need a knee brace and the knee brace um, needs to be able to fit onto my prosthetic leg so that's about just two thousand dollars as is that's without any of the basic equipment now the feet we try and keep as simple as possible because if you're doing jumps and um, riding berms creating that type of force it's very easy to break a fake foot so so easy so it needs to be replaceable on the spot but those, even the most basic feet cost about $12,000. Wow. So that's already, you know, 14000 And then to have a socket made, all the components of the leg, my snowboarding leg cost in total with people working on it between fifty-five dollars and $70,000. Wow. That's, and that's for one. That's not, for one. you know, that's not spare parts included. That's just the leg. And I break it every single year. And then a walking leg, you know, might be from 22000 to 30000 That's baloney. If you're missing a knee, you're looking at hundreds of thousands because a mechanical knee is so incredibly expensive. And it's getting less expensive because it's um, there's a lot more product out there, but then it's also getting more expensive because the, you know, technology going into it is just absolutely insane in the moment. So my snowboarding leg when you look at it, it's very plain and basic, but we do it that way so it's easy to replace. But um, there's a lot of stuff going into it, like the knee brace, the type of foot that I'm racing on, um, all of that. So it's it's tricky, but we try and keep it simple. I, I can imagine that's a lot of the reason why your parents at the time when you first said, hey, I'm going to do snowboard, might have been like, holy hell, how much is this going to cost? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I don't they had no clue. So I spoke to Pete and I was like, Pete, okay, so what is this going to cost me? He's like, oh, make sure you've got some spare money in the bank. And in my head, spare money is like, I don't know, $3,000. $32,000 later. Wow. Yeah, I'm snowboarding. So it's not spare change. And that's just that 33000 
right now I'm lucky because I have a sponsor that actually provides my legs for me. But before then, I was paying for all of it and I was starting out snowboarding. So it was such a long and expensive process to fine tune what I needed on snow. And because I couldn't snowboard, I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what I needed to feel. I didn't know, you know, how I needed to fit. I only like really figured that out last year. So I needed to chop and change every single week and that all costs money, you know. Mm. So it was quite the expensive and I had no one in Australia to kind of guide me because there were no other girls or no other amputees in my similar position to go this works this doesn't work I just headed in blindly and like tried it out until I didn't fall basically so have you, have you found then I guess uh throughout the, the the competition circuit over the years have you then uh made close friends with some other para snowboarders I guess along the way and kind of help had them help you kind of a mentoring role so to speak given that you're coming basically as you're saying from a country where you're it you're the only one yeah um I think that did happen to an extent obviously it's still a very competitive sport so even with legs people don't like to give away their secrets um which is hilarious but and I'm the same way so you don't want to give away your secrets leg recipe (laughs) for success (laughs) but you know what if you actually did have a problem we've got such amazing athletes and mentors on our circuit if you went to them they would help you. They would give you names. They would give you options, different brands. And they all had such an amazing medical team behind them that they were willing to share. So if you were tr- struggling, your prosthetist can kind of get in contact with their prosthetist, talk about, you know, different options and then try it out on you. So because we're so amputation is so incredibly individual, there's nothing directly that you can say from one athlete to another that will go, that'll fix your problem. At the end of the day, you need to figure it out. But it's just like kind of brainstorming different, you know, avenues you can look into. But yeah, I had incredible people helping me and mentoring me um, that helped me get here to where I am now with my legs. <laughs> so what, t- tell us about the, the actual events that you that you do compete in in, in the sport because obviously, you know, as we know with snowboarding, there's a variety of different categories. I mean, I'm reading here uh, Banked Slalom and Snowboard Cross seem to be sort yeah. of your, uh, your I guess, your favourites. Are they are the two main ones? Are you compete in any, any others as well? No, these are the only ones at the moment available to us um, as para snowboarders, and they are the two main ones. I think the main one would have to be border cross, uh, which is just like the able body circuit, but we also do bank slalom. So bank slalom is basically um, going down a hill. It's based on time, so whoever can get down the quickest. And it is it is so difficult. It doesn't look difficult because it's fairly straightforward. You've got turns. And you've got a couple of rollers and then you've got the finish line. But the technique that goes into actually doing it properly is um, more difficult than you think. So from that point of view, I very much enjoy it because I like nailing technique. Uh, Whereas snowboard cross is, it's like a bag of everything. You know, you need strength, you need speed, you need power, you need mental, you know, endurance to kind of like go full speed down down the hill <laughs> at a really fast pace competing with someone next to you, you know, kind of like fighting it out for the right spots into turns, over jumps and heading into that finish line. Um, yeah, it's the two main events. I do love them both, but they both come with very big challenges as anyone else would know that does them. It is quite the struggle. Because, I mean, Sobercross really just seems like 
you can be the best in the world at it. You can just like be so darn good, so darn fast. You've got the best technique. You're number one, no matter what. But on competition day, all it takes is just you go around a corner, someone gives you a bit of a bump, you're done, that's it. Thanks very much. Well, that's exactly it. Like snowboard cross is always down to the day. It depends on the snow. It depends on the people next to you, how they race, their race technique, your race technique and kind of how they come together. It comes down, if you just accidentally hit a bump that just got there before and it throws you off it can it can mean the race for you so it's um i think more exciting because you truly don't know you know how you want it to end and you know what you can do to make that happen but you don't truly know what's going to happen in the race whereas bank slalom you're on your own and you are the only person that can do it right and it all depends on you whereas there's so many different elements in snowboard cross it's just so exciting now, now, tell us about Sochi because, I mean, you, you qualified for the Games uh, and I believe you basically got a leg injury during training the day of competition. Uh, I mean, how, how, does that, how does that feel? I can't imagine that's a, a very good feeling. I mean, I read one interview that you gave that you said as soon as that happened, you were thinking straight to Korea. But I, I can't imagine that at some point you're like, oh, shit, like, seriously, this has to happen today. <laughs> <laughs> you could not have put it better. I, I don't even... I can't describe the level of annoyance and frustration that goes into something like that. So basically, we get a couple of training runs before the event starts. I was number 12 of the girls, which means the last of the girls to either train and also compete. So I was the last girl on course for training before they shut down all of training and started the event. So we were like 45 minutes out of the event and I go down and... I misread a feature that I've been having trouble with all day um, because, you know what, I'm not the best snowboarder. I was not the best of the girls out there. I was so fresh and so new. It was very easy for me to misread and misunderstand the course. And I hit it and I landed upside down, tomahawking through the bee netting. I collapsed my hip. I broke my knee and I got taken down in the bucket a couple of minutes before the actual race started. And you know what? I went down in that bucket. And while I was going down, I closed my eyes and I just said to myself, how can this happen again? Like I had a flashback of London again in front of my eyes. I had a flashback of my actual accident because I wasn't sure how severe my damage was because I was in so much pain. I couldn't think, think, you know, straight. And I just came down to the bottom and I was just like, Joni, are you kidding me? Like, how can you do this to yourself again. You are so dumb. You're incredibly dumb and I'm angry at you, no one else. And then, you know, I got to the bottom and I saw my oh, my beautiful dad waiting for me and he's just smiling and happy that I'm okay and, you know, my eyes are open because he, you know, he's been through this once before. And he just looked at me and at that moment I was like, no, that's so unfair. You've never seen me even compete. And the one time you fly to Russia to see me compete, I do this. No, that's no, just I'm going to do this again and I'm going to do it right. And I think that's when it flipped over. I was like, yep, Korea, you're on my list. Wow. Wow. So they already got then uh, their tickets for uh, Pyeongchang next year ready to go then. <laughs> <laughs> they're so 
oh, I've got the most amazing parents. They've got a little tin uh, savings bank that they kind of constantly drop notes in. They're just like, <laughs> it's Korea. So they're definitely going. We've been saving for a while, so they won't miss it for the world. Now, you mentioned at the top that you had a great season coming into this. Just just before I go on that, so are you officially qualified for the Games next year or is that kind of just inevitable? You just got to basically wait till it happens. Yeah, you know what? There's a lot of criteria that I need to meet. Um, I've satisfied the majority of um, the qualification criteria, but at the end of the day, it's down to your national sporting organization to offer you um, an invite. So regardless of what I've done or haven't done, um, I think come November this year, this is when all athletes would actually find out whether they have qualified, regardless of what they've done or not done. So I've satisfied a lot of the criteria, but... um, now is not the time to know it, really. They, they're waiting a couple of months to make sure to get everyone in and everyone out who they want. And then you're offered a position. Right, so right. You never well, know what you We're extremely start. confident. We're saying you are there. But, I mean, worst case scenario, you get a great family uh, holiday to Korea in March next year. So oh, <laughs> I'm going to be there. They don't even know this. But I'm going to show up, even if they don't invite me, as their <laughs> biggest supporter. But um, all systems are going. You know what? We're training as though we've already gotten the invite. And we already, you know, have a room key at the Athlete Village. So. Beautiful. That's good. That's easy. But yeah, great season for you. Uh, obviously, uh, a variety of podiums there. And you also got the uh, the Crystal Globe, I believe, as well. I mean, take us through y- your season. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely peaking quite well heading into the Games next year. Yeah, um, I'm very lucky that, you know, it's been such an incredible season for me. It did start out a little bit rough because I've been dealing with a lot of medical issues on my left leg, the amputated side. I've got because it was such a traumatic um, amputation, I've got so many residual um, issues that are lifelong struggles that I need to deal with. And when you add all this amount of training to it, it just aggravates it. So going into the season, I was constantly in pain. I couldn't train properly. Um, And my coach was so incredibly patient with me and we were working on ways to kind of minimize the damage. So my first couple of competitions in the Netherlands and so did not go well. Um, I did not ride confidently because of the pain that I was in and I don't think that I was physically ready. Um, And then I came home and I regrouped and we worked on a training strategy and it worked out. I got back overseas, I was confident and I was ready and I competed in a couple of World Cups and I got my first gold ever in Lake Tahoe. Congratulations. Thank you. Incredible. You know, and as soon as that went, I think um, something clicked inside um, that just told me I knew that I could do it. Like I always knew that I could, but there's always doubt in my mind. Um, I get very anxious when I race. But after that, I was confident, you know, so I definitely approached every competition with the right mindset. And we had our world championships in Canada and I was lucky enough to walk away with two bronze medals both one in bank slalom and one in um, watercross, which was very unexpected because watercross is so difficult. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. We were just over the moon, to be honest. I was. Um, And I had my team. They were all incredibly proud. They were all very supportive, which is great. You know, it's very important to have a team around you that kind of shares in your triumphs and, like, accepts when you don't do so well and they kind of support you in that. Um. And then it all led up to the final World Cup 
which was in Korea, but that was also the test event. And we went in guns blazing. I don't think I've ever been so eager and ready for a competition. And you know what? It did pay off. I walked out with two silvers. And I did things there that I didn't know that I was physically capable in racing. And it just really confirmed, you know, what I want and what I can do and what I still need to do over this training period, you know, to be the best of the best or, you know, at least go into every competition knowing I can give my all. Um, Yeah, and all the medals and podiums over the season was good enough to get me the overall crystal globe. Right. Yeah, it was insane. I I was so happy. <laughs> is, is it a literal crystal globe? And you come home on the off the plane and be like, "Hey, everyone, look at this giant thing I've got." <laughs> um, yes, it looks like an upside down uh, beer glass. It is literally <laughs> a crystal globe, and my parents are just so they've never seen anything like it in their life. So it's actually standing on our coffee table, and wow. they love to bring it up in conversation. It's like, oh, yeah, this massive crystal <laughs> figurine, like it's no big deal, but it's kind of a big deal. They just love it, and I I enjoy them doing it, so I don't have to do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <I'm just laughs> oh, Mum, Dad, maybe you should do it this time. I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to have something like that in your house. It's something that I will always be able to look back on and just really appreciate, you know, what I was able to do in my younger days. You know, Fantastic. this is like 40 years Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I often try to hang on to younger days. I just turned 30 this year, so I'm kind of just remembering what it was like to, to be young there, Joni. So um, anyway, uh, but I mean, oh, before we, I want to get into some of these, these fun questions in a sec that we, we ask all our, our guests. But I mean, outside of obviously uh, your snowboarding, I mean, kind of just looking through a lot of your social media and, and, and your website and everything, that sort of stuff, looks like you're involved in kind of workplace safe news. South Wales, you've got a bit of motivational speaking going on there. And as I said, I watched some of the clips on, on YouTube and it definitely seems like you've got a knack for this, Joni. I mean, you, you're very well uh, <laughs> you're very well into this. I think kind of, uh, you know, once you go off and win all your goals next year, you can turn this into a career, maybe a TV presenting gig. You, you've got the gift of the gab, I feel. Put me yeah, out of the thank job. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about myself. Um, no. <laughs> well, I do, but I, I think the thing is I've got I've been given this amazing story to tell with my accident that I can't keep it in. I love telling people, you know, what happened to me and helping other people realize what they want in life. Um, So I go to schools and I talk to young kids because my life as an amputee growing up, you know, in school systems was tough. There was a lot of bullying. There was a lot of misunderstood information. People didn't really know how to act around me. And that influenced me as a child, you know, it wasn't great. So I love talking to kids and telling them that it's okay to be so different. You can still do things, even though it might look different or seem different or feel different. Um, And then my accident was workplace related because it happened on a farm on a tractor And I think my family suffered through so much trauma because of a small mistake that I made that I find that it's incredibly important to go out to workplaces and, you know, make aware that people need to be safe, you know, and they need to think about other people. So I love talking and I love sharing my story and I love inspiring and meeting new people. So yeah, I <laughs> I just love talking. So. Well, look, there you go. I'll tell you what, if, if, we ever need, if we ever need somebody to cover us here or you just want to join a podcast, we can uh, put you on the books and uh, you can become oh. one of our co-hosts and, hey, we, we, you've got yourself a job. 
Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> we've, we've always wanted to have a, an Olympic gold medalist on the show in terms of her being a oh, co-host. So, oh, look, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to regret saying that later. I'm definitely going to be like spooking up your email going, hey, Ben. <laughs> it's fine. As I said, as I said, we need, to, we need that extra boost. And, uh, you know, as we've said to a few guests here, uh, in terms of when they're on that podium next year in Pyeongchang, getting that gold medal around their neck, they've got to think, hey, what a great interview that Ben guy or Colin gave me, like, fantastic. And when you're there, you're thinking, well, look, you know, this is now my future career being on that show. So, hey, cool. You know, (laughs) win-win. I will always look back to this day. Good. I I expect it. Now, uh, as I sort of, I mentioned to this off-air, and uh, a lot of our guests, what we're doing here, we're we're going back to a bit of a segment we did during the Rio Games last year where we read over some Canadian athletes' uh, answers (laughs) to a questionnaire. And uh, Colin, our our co-host over there in Canada, has been putting this to all the Canadian athletes. So, of course... We're like, look, we've got to do it here in Australia as well. Why not? So this is called My Name Is, and they basically start off by saying, my name is, they say their name. So obviously, you know, we know your name. We've uh, been talking to you. You can, you can <laughs> say it if you want to, Joni. Joni, what's your name? My name is Joni. <laughs> Good, thank you. Just wanted to make sure we've been talking to the right person for the last <laughs> half an hour or so. Uh, what is your favourite <laughs> Olympic moment? Favourite Olympic moment? Hmm. Um... You know what? I have a favorite Paralympic moment. That works. Um, and, yeah, that was when Oscar Pistorius won his first gold and when he actually got – he went on competing in able body Olympics um, as a contender and I thought that that was just brilliant. I think that's one of my favorite moments. Good one. Um, I like that. Yeah. That, that works. If you could choose any Olympic host city, uh, where would it be? Now, and I kind of guess this – I mean, look, you can – think summer winter i mean you're more winter of course you'd want to think that aspect but i mean look anywhere you want you've got that power okay anywhere in the world um i think that uh, cape town would be fantastic in south africa it's one of the most beautiful places i've ever seen in my life the wine is fantastic um yeah, I think that they'd be able to pull it off. Well, we've n- not had an Olympics in Africa, so uh, that would oh, that would go. tick the boxes. <laughs> so, uh, look, IOC, I'm sure you're not listening, but hey, we'll, we'll shoot you through a message. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you like to do most in your spare time? Um, I cliche, but I love reading and doing art. I just started printmaking for the first time, and I'm completely obsessed with it. Wow. So, printmaking, is that like... Um, Explain. I'm trying to picture what that is, but I'm dumb, so I'm not even going to have to guess what that is. Uh, explain that to somebody dumb like myself here, Joni. Uh, basically, you've got a little um, sheet of rubber that you take little tools with and you etch out all these pictures. Ah. You paint it and then press it onto paper and then whatever you've etched is the negative image on it. So, right. um, yeah, it takes a lot of patience, which I have none of, which is really good for me. <laughs> And it never turns out the way you want it, which is me in life. So every day is a surprise. Sounds perfect. I love it. And and next thing you know, you're going to have some random guy staring at you for ages, getting a phone call a couple of days later and offering you a job. Yeah, Yeah, and the local gallery etching people's faces. Yeah, exactly. I just call all of my works um, abstract because that label just goes with everything that I do. There you go. I like that. Uh, Now, here we can't really do this one. They've got here, draw a picture of yourself. Um, how would you, I mean, would you, would you print make a picture of yourself? How would you draw a picture of yourself? <laughs> Definitely abstract, um, <laughs> because it won't look the way, but I always said that my spirit animal is a raccoon. Okay. Um, so it would be raccoon-esque. 
um, yeah, a little bit dodgy, sometimes very funny. Um, yeah, and always up to no good. I feel like that would be the encapsulating image that I would draw it. I kind of want you to draw that and tweet us that picture now. Kind of um, <laughs> sounds. You no, know, a challenge accepted. Done. I will. Do All that. right, you've heard it here first. Uh, what is the weirdest <laughs> instruction a coach has ever given you? The and <laughs> the weirdest. Um, a couple. One that springs to mind is slow down later, <laughs> which um, was the most terrifying one I've ever heard. Wow. Just someone yelling, slow down later. And you're like, really? There will not be a later. So, <laughs> um, And then also starting to snowboard, um, trying to get into a heel carved turn, I was told to sit on the toilet. Right. So, um, okay. find that. Yeah, very strange. Sit on the toilet. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm picturing two okay. things there. This that sounds a really weird way of it starting that conversation, considering what you just told me. But uh, when you're laying in that bucket there in in Sochi and hearing that advice of slow down later, you're like, yeah, okay, you could have told me that before. And then uh, next time you just happen to be on the toilet after you've been told that by your coach, you're thinking like, I'm not snowboarding right now. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, basically, I was just like, I nailed that advice. Basically, yeah. I did slow. Later, or the netting kind of slowed me down later, but that's all right. Yes. Details, details, details. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite workout? Um, my favorite workout, dance. Okay. Um, I find the same routine very, you know, soothing, but also I can find it very boring. And because my legs so weird, I need to incorporate different elements to warm up in the morning. So my race routine every morning includes three songs where I pump out like incredibly like experimental dance moves and I just love it. I come out of my room so pumped and excited for what my body looks like it can do. Wow. It's just it's disturbing but fascinating at you, the same time. You need time. to post this on social media. You've got all these listeners <laughs> right now going, we need to see this. <laughs> Oh, one day. I think that that'll be like my lead up to like let people into who they would be supporting at the next Paragames. Just like a little snippet of who Joni is. Just me like crumping aggressively <laughs> in the Like yes. <laughs> a Maroon 5 song. <laughs> hey, hey, look, you know, if anyone's going to crump to Maroon 5, you know, you can start a trend. Uh, <laughs> this can kind of going, going I don't think there. that's a trend anyone wants to start. Look, but you know what? You know. Never, never knew Maroon 5 could be used for such a thing. But, hey, look, you know, there's, there's always a first person to do it, you know. Uh, if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Oh, you didn't even think about that. You were straight into it. I love her. She is my favourite person ever. Her or Jennifer Lawrence, because Jennifer Lawrence also is my spirit animal. So it would have to see who says yes. But it would be between those two. You know, you know, you could just reach for the stars, invite both of them, uh, and then hey, you've got a great lunch date with both of them there. So you know, it's the best lunch date ever. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. we'd have so much to talk about. You can totally pass on my number to both of them. That's fine while you're there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, what is your favorite? I don't know where this interview is going. My, what is your favorite sandwich? <laughs> oh, turkey, cranberry, a little bit of like um, fresh spinach. Yes, on white bread, nice. like fresh baked white. Good, mm-hmm. good answer. Uh, it's got here. Draw a picture of a Canadian animal. Um, this person has drawn a what is meant to be a cougar, but it looks like a very demented cat. Uh, <laughs> so, 
I won't get you to draw a Canadian animal, maybe an Australian animal, but you add that to your self-portrait. Uh, yep, I will add that. I can, yeah, my animals are quite quirky. So, yes, I would probably draw a koala. Okay, okay. Well, like a drop bear. Yeah, a dro- <laughs> make a drop bear. Scare the, the Canadians. <laughs> Colin's listening to, what the hell's a drop bear? I'm not going to Australia. <laughs> um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh Okay, yes, all right. Um, <laughs> to be able to speak every language in the world. Okay, do you speak any other languages? Um, I'm actually taking German at the moment. Uh, my home language is Afrikaans and I understand Dutch and then English. So there's a couple, but um, I'd love to be able to speak Spanish. I think it is the sexiest language ever. So, <laughs> I mean, I would probably not be sexy speaking it because my facial expressions don't match what I'm saying. Um, but I would really give it a go. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't maintain languages. I just, I've, that's a definitely a bucket list thing for me is to learn another language, but I just, I automatically go into shutdown mode. Like, uh, what's hello in Spanish again? What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's difficult. Oh, but I just, I just love it. So that would be it. Or talking to animals, but either way, it would be like a speaking thing. Well, I, I like that. <laughs> You're definitely on the speaking page there. Again, you don't need to send us a resume to get a job on this show. You're already putting it out there. Um, what is the best candy in the world? This is very weird, these questions that basically are asking these, you know, Olympic athletes about food and superpowers. But anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Um, best candy in the world. That's actually really difficult. I can't remember the last time I had candy candy. Um, but in South Africa... Um, we used to get these lollipops called fizzos and they had um, sour powder in the middle. So you would suck it until it went to the core and then it would be bursting with sour stuff in your mouth. Okay. Um, sounds, sounds interesting. All right. Uh- <laughs> that, that description is the worst. It's everyone's like, everyone who loves sour stuff right now is going, they sound really good. And everybody who doesn't, because what are those warheads or whatever they are, where generally it starts off sour, then it gets sweet. Like, (laughs) I've never heard of one that starts off sweet, then gets sour. That's kind of, that's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, that's uh, that's or um, salt water taffy. I ah, also really enjoy. Yes, that's a good one. That's so a good with that. one. Uh, as a kid, who was your or what was your favorite sporting team? My favorite sporting team as a kid. Um, I I'm going to be honest with you. I did not watch a lot of team sports. We did, I grew up without a TV on a farm in South Africa, so we didn't really watch a lot of team sports, but. My family, or us as a family, we supported um, the Springbok team incredibly. So the rugby team, obviously. And is that so, still a thing? So even when they're playing the Wallabies now, you still you still in the Springboks? Um, listen, if the Springboks are playing anyone else, we still go for them. But Australia's home, so no, the Wallabies. Good answer. Are, yeah. Particularly against the All Blacks, you got to go to anyone against the All Blacks too. Like you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> well, we love to have you nearby anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favourite sports movie? Sports movie? Hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a couple that come to mind. Um, we watched, um, my team and I uh, watched a snowboarding movie recently that was incredible to say the least. I think it was called Cloud Nine. Okay. Um, or Hot Dog, the snowboarding movie. I do enjoy that, but those are team favourites. Um, but, like, if you're on a serious note, is it We Are Marshall? Is that the 
Is that what it's called? Uh, um, I yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Dies on the plane, except for this one. Yeah, I. You know what? I'm a sucker. I'm very emotional. Um, and the credits can be rolling before the movie starts, and I'm already bawling my eyes out. But that's a sign of a good movie. Yes. So, Unless you're watching a really movie. bad movie against your will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see Twilight again. Why are you making me watch Twilight again? <laughs> um, let me just say Uh-oh. that Twilight was also not bad. Uh-oh. I mean, bad you that I look me. back at it now. But <laughs> when it came out, I think it spoke to me as a person. Now, not so much. I remember watching then- that with my uh, partner at the time, thinking, wow, there's 90 <laughs> minutes of my life I will never get back. Uh- <laughs> We do we do a film and TV <laughs> podcast as well, and uh, we we jokingly say like send in your requests for any films we will recap we review except for Twilight we will we will watch every movie from every country in the world until we finally get to do a Twilight recap. So hey, you can you can hook us up with some good South African films. <laughs> oh, there's oh yeah no South Africa is so well acclaimed for their films. There so, you go. There you um, go. I will send through a call. Good. All right. Uh, now, there's another drawing one. They like to draw stuff. Uh, what would the coolest Olympic medal look like? Now, this person, again, has drawn what looks like a bell on a rope and a circle around it. Um, but, cool. Cool, cool. <laughs> add um, that to your list of drawing homework. I'm giving yeah. you homework. Why am I giving you homework? You know what? <laughs> no, I like it. Challenge. Um, I don't know what cool one would be like automatically i would be like yeah fake leg hanging from you know um but i think that's only applicable to some people and i don't want to like you know be so confining um i'll have to think about it i'll come up with something pretty creative good all right i'm looking forward to these uh if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be anywhere in the world um I love Canada. I would easily live in Canada. I just think it like incorporates all the different seasons and areas so well. Any particular Canada, any particular yeah. part? Now I'm not going to tell you where our co-host Colin is from. Let's see if you can uh, end up in the same I, area I, as him. <laughs> I do enjoy BC. Um, okay. Yeah, I do enjoy BC. So I think Vancouver. I do love Vancouver. Um, that area. He, he's, Wait, where's, where's he from? He's from Winnipeg. So I don't know if you've been to Manitoba, oh, okay. but uh, no. it's nice. Look, I, I was there last year. It's not too bad. I, I, I do enjoy Vancouver. I shouldn't say not too bad. Okay. That sounds horrible. It's nice, Winnipeg. Colin, sorry if you're listening, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Vancouver's we very pretty. It. The whole country is great. I, I'm with you there. I'm a yeah. huge fan of Canada. I love that country. Uh, when you were little, uh, what did you always think? Like this, the, the, for example, this person said, "When I was little, I always thought that I was a princess, and now I'm a queen." Ha ha ha! Uh, <laughs> that's their thought. So, when you were little, what was something you always thought? <laughs> um, I thought that I was pretty amazing, and I invented a lot of cool stuff, but it just ended up being super dangerous stuff, and I was not being cool at all. Um, I thought it was going to be like, oh, you know what? I also thought that I was going to feature in an Indiana Jones movie because I used to go around, we lived on a farm, and I used to dig up like old dead, this sounds so strange, I'm going to stop it right there. I just thought that I was going to like. <laughs> I kind of think you need to finish that <laughs> sentence now, Joni. Now, now we're like, no, no, you've got to finish that sentence. <laughs> well, we had like a slaughtering section on the farm and, you know, like bones would go there. So I would be like dressed up as like a mini Indiana Jones with like a one of my mum's like um, turkey brushes that she used to like baste. <laughs> things with and just like brush dirt for hours and then I would discover a random bone I don't even know if it's like leftovers that my mom threw out and just come home and go 
imagine what this was, mum. Like, this could be amazing. She's like, that was last night. Dinner, Joni, go and put it away. So, <laughs> All of you love on my favorite favorite like theme songs ever oh indiana jones what a man well they're what filming the new one now aren't they the new one's due out very soon so there you go i did not know this oh, look. i think that should be on the list of movies to watch yep casting casting directors out there for indiana jones uh jones you know like what do you call those people that like sub in for other people uh, um, understudies yeah understudy or like a um uh, <laughs> someone I can feature as like a legless person. You don't even need to use my face, just my leg. You can have it. It's Done. so fine as long as I feature in it. Yep. You get a credit in that one. Uh, you get to hang out with Harrison Ford. Uh, look, you know, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Now, your final yeah. one here. This is, I've actually made it to the bottom of this for once. I'm, I'm quite proud of myself. Uh, my favorite joke to tell is. Ooh, okay. Um, quickly, ask me if I'm a strawberry. Uh, are you a strawberry? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh- <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one of those random ones where it's like, I think you're expecting this amazingly, you know, interesting <laughs> answer and you're just like, No. <laughs> My team hates it because I love it so much. I remember being in Austria in the elevator with a couple of the border cross races from their Olympic team and they didn't speak a lot of English and I was just kind of like chilling, trying to break up the awkwardness and I'm like, oh, do you want to hear a joke? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, ask me if I'm a strawberry. And they're like, are you a strawberry? And I was like, no. And I started laughing and they looked at me like I was some deranged animal that had followed them on. Wow. There you go. You've heard that here on the show today. The uh, funniest (laughs) joke uh, you will ever hear. (laughs) Um, wow, this is that's an incredible way to, uh, to end this, Joni. Thank you so much. I will say, best of luck for uh, for next year. We'll obviously be uh, keeping everything uh, you know cross for you going into that, and uh, obviously rooting for you very hard here in Australia. And for sure, we'll uh, we'll get you back on the show post Korea. Talk to you about your uh, two gold medal wins, and uh, you know, obviously your future and being an Indiana Jones uh, extra and a, and a podcast host. yes thank you so much for having me and tolerating me uh this has been so much fun i think we've definitely been missing a female voice on this podcast so uh there you go we could have our future co-host of off the podium right there big thanks to Joni again fantastically fun chat and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on her in Pyeongchang next year we've got more interviews coming your way stay tuned myself and Colin have a couple more lined up and we're always looking forward to bringing those to you You can of course like us on Facebook off the podium podcast that's where you can find us use a hashtag off the podium if perhaps you're listening to these and want to tweet about them as you're online and uh, we of course appreciate any sort of feedback along 
along the way as well. Maybe there's a, a, an Olympian past, present, future that you want us to get on the show. We can reach out to them. Or maybe you are an Olympian past, present, or future and you've stumbled across our podcast and you're like, hey, I'd like to talk about my career. So uh, you can get in contact with us, of course, on our Facebook page and uh, let us know your thoughts. In the meantime, thank you once again to Joni. Thank you once again for tuning in to Off the Podium. We'll be back very shortly for another athlete interview. And until then, we appreciate your company. Good night. Hey,